At one point, we were posting a position and Andrew and I are sitting there that night and we're talking about exactly what we needed and all the dev resources. And Sam, our partner uh, in event.gives, was sitting right there in the room with us in the office and, and overheard it. And he said, hey, guys, if that's what you need, I could use X or Y. Uh, why don't we you know, share this position? And within five hours, we had baked out the vision for the company. We had a name for the company, Code and Trust. I'm Patrick Bryant, the CEO of Code and Trust. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Patrick Bryant applied an entrepreneurial approach to software, building an agency based on experience and trust. All this and more on Code Story. Patrick Bryant lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and splits time in Washington, D.C. He loves entrepreneurship and believes it is the number one change agent in the world. He's involved in multiple communities around the topic, Startup Grind, EO, and he founded the Harbor Entrepreneur Center. Scuba diving is the thing that takes his mind off of all things, though, given you're 100 feet under the water and have to focus. He's excited to go dive with the sharks soon, and he also enjoys the beaches and being in the sunshine. Prior to his current ventures formation, Patrick and the other three partners had two software products and other companies they were building. Between them all, there were two dev teams, and in the interest of making a bigger impact in their space, they decided to join forces and form one team. This is the creation story of Code and Trust. Code and Trust developed software for entrepreneurs and corporations in the early stage, and we, we really focus intently on helping entrepreneurs and even large corporations that are starting something new and see vision, really lay out a plan, understand uh, how to, to do that first MVP. Sometimes we get involved after that uh, as far as where they are in their software development cycle. But the, the thing that we've really built the company to do is to be able to scale up a team in the heavy production moment of a software startup and then be able to help that startup cross the finish line to that version and and really get it deployed into their marketplace or their employees, listen to that iteration, and then go back and and put that into another version. So we really really focus in on the entrepreneur journey, the customer process, MVP, Um, customer development, all those things are highly important to the way that we develop software. We think that, uh, you know, code is a commodity, but products are opinionated. And we want to help people develop really good products that are fitting uh, a need. And the the way that the company got started is is an exciting story. Uh, The three partners, we've all had other software product startups we've exited we've been involved in a number of other companies prior to the code and trust experience 
And at one point, we had two software products, uh, two of my partners. Uh, I was in partnership with one company called Event.Giz, and I was in partnership with another company called Teamforia, and they had two different dev teams. And we decided, wait a second, if we were to merge these dev teams and then bring a third product we were wanting to bring online, Crew Mama, if we were to do all that together, we could have a much bigger team, take on clients, have much bigger, uh, you know, uh, talent in our in our space, and be able to really leverage these multifaceted um, opportunities instead of hiring almost duplication in these different businesses. And it really led to a fantastic solution that have helped a lot of our own products, but also our clients' products. And today, uh, we're we're just really enjoying growing that team and continuing to help people develop really cool products. And those three that I mentioned that were the original impetus, they're still going strong and they have their own sales and marketing teams and customer success teams, and they're all uh, running hard uh, using the, the dev resources that are now inside of Code and Trust. Well, let's let's dive into the early days, and you know what what might be the MVP of Code and Trust, right? So that that first point where you you joined forces together. How did you go about that process? What did you have to work through? And you know what sort of tools and processes did you use to bring it all to life? For us, MVP at Code and Trust was the bringing together that dev team and hiring additional resources and taking on our first paying client outside of our own products. And all of that happened uh, literally within uh, two weeks. I mean, we, 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 I was mentioning when those two different uh, products that we had, those two teams, at one point we were posting a position for Team Foria and Andrew and I are sitting there that night and we're talking about exactly what we needed and all the dev resources and Sam, our partner uh, in event.gives was sitting right there in the room with us in the office and, and overheard it and he said, hey guys, if you if that's what you need, I could use X or Y, uh, why don't we you know, share this position? And within maybe five hours that night we left, I remember like maybe at 11 o'clock we left that night and we had baked out the, the vision for the company, the position that we were gonna hire, we had a name for the company, Code and Trust. We, we really had already baked out all the things. And you know, it, uh, it's sort of like a band, right? Where you've been playing together for a, a long time. And then you, you sit down and write a song and it just flows right out of you uh, in a really easy way. And that's exactly what happened. Code and Trust was really birthed in that, that moment. And we then had clients almost immediately reach out. Uh, we built a web page that week and, and kind of put out in the world that we were going to take on clients. And we had one within, within a week. Having done it before was incredibly useful, though, because we had a very clear vision in the beginning of what MVP success looked like how many clients we wanted to take on, exactly what size client we wanted those to be. And that first year, we did 12 client products that we uh, put through our phase one process and really got 
going and all of them were uh, about that first year they were all right under 20 grand and and we felt like hey you know that was a good that was a good first whatever it was six seven months uh and we really had rung the bell and then that's when we were able to go okay we're out of mvp we can now go out in the world and offer some some really big clients our our services with that initial process for Code and Trust, I'm sure there were, you know, points where you had to decide how you were going to approach things, right? How you were going to approach projects and, and you know, maybe, okay, we're going to do it this way and we're not going to do it that way, right? Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to work through um, and how you coped with the decisions. It really was exactly that. We would have clients coming in the door and they would want us to to do, you know, maybe a task that we didn't feel like was the right even task for them. And and to this day, we'll only take clients that we believe in their product. We don't want to develop something just for the sake of developing it. We really want to be involved and help power the startup. Uh, we understand the, the founders, they're the key and, and with their, uh, you know, desires, passions, and, and the things they see in the world that they want to address are by far the most important thing. We want to be there to help them power that, listen to them, show them things that maybe they didn't see. And in that first year, we really did crystallize around a, a kind of a two-phased approach with a very specific methodology on exactly what uh, the startups in our sphere needed, even if they were a big corporation, which we ended up doing a couple that first year, where here's a, a very large corporation, they've got a, a, a team of you know 20 IT people, but they didn't see the world in the MVP customer development process the way we do. And we were really able to help them craft plans that weren't, let's go build the whole world. Instead, let's build this piece of what you're trying to accomplish. Let's launch it into your employees, knowing that we're gonna learn from them as we give them this particular tool. And then we can go operate on future phases where we really will build more and more of the product. So that was probably our biggest learning that first year was that people were gonna come wanting to build a lot more than they needed to. And we could really help them by saying, you know, look, you don't need to build out the entire thing right now. Just help, let us help you pick the right MVP, the right piece that is just enough to, to learn what we need to from these employees or, or your marketplace. And then use that data to iterate on the product because sometimes we don't end up building the other uh, 50% of what they were thinking about because it never really uh, became important. And then other times we end up building 50% more in a different direction, right? Because the employees, as they see it come online or the, the uh, marketplace sees it come online, they go, hey, we're, that's not even really an important function anymore. That was just something that, that we used to think about. Uh, now that we see it, we really want it to be able to do this whole other thing. Uh, and, and they'll even come to us and say, wow, you know, you're, you, you, this is really, really cool software. Could it do X or Y? And now all of a sudden they're pitching things that they never would have visioned before uh, until they've seen the product. 
So, okay, so you mentioned earlier, okay, now we're out of MVP. Now we can go after bigger clients. Tell me about, at that point, how you progressed Code & Trust. How did you mature it? And, and almost, you know, with a product, you got to build a roadmap, right? How did you sort of build a roadmap for Code & Trust and decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to address in the company, or this is the next most important thing to go after in the market? We really did follow our own methodology and thought process around launching it into the market, seeing what pieces they wanted us to provide, and began to put on our own resources to, to address those needs. Uh, so now today we've got you know, a handful of designers, UX, UI uh, type folks, in addition to a very large development team that can take on uh, some really complex projects, everything from Web 3.0 to native apps to web uh, app development. And, and really, that team was all slowly built out based on listening to the client, being able to provide to them the services that really made sense. And today, we will do some ancillary services that just typical software development firms don't do. Sometimes startups will walk in and we're helping them with market analysis, the competitive landscape, uh, profit model, pricing. Uh, sometimes we're doing even designing the logo to help them move into a, a, you know, a more uh, up-to-date model. So really... We have, we have listened to the clients and helped them with the tools that they really needed. But the number one thing that we focus on is teaching our coders to think like entrepreneurs. We didn't know that we were gonna do that. We didn't know that we needed to do it. But today, our software engineers, uh, when they're going through stand-up and they're looking at their particular products that they're working on, we're empowering them to say, hey, if I were using this product, this looks like an important feature and we need to move this button. And we want them in that dialogue saying, hey, I could do it this way and it would be more fluid for the user or I could do it this way and save us some data. Uh, so I think at really empowering our engineers to think and to, to really craft products that are meeting the client need is more important and probably the most important thing than being really good at code development, which of course they are. Uh, to us, that was the magic sauce that we really found as we were developing out that MVP that we said, if we can grow this team in a way that they're thinking like entrepreneurs, then we will build the, the best software entrepreneurial uh, development team in the United States. Tell me about the team, right? So, so you, you know, you, you talked about the developers and, and helping them to build products, right? Um, and, and see, you know, products in a very specific way and a code and trust way. But how did you find the people and, and, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you and take on, you know, building this unique um, unique company to go build software. 
Well, we think of ourselves as a teaching hospital. So we, we really focus on opportunities for interns, junior devs, and, and giving them the ability to learn from uh, the more senior lead talent. And we really hope and, and push into our lead team that they should always be learning and they should always be uh, on the cutting edge of figuring new things out. So we, we like for all of that team to be helping each other get better every single day because any given day, that team is going to be presented with a new uh, opportunity, a, a, a new challenge, and that is what excites them. So finding that kind of mentality is a, a, a bit of a monkey trick in itself, right? Uh, it, it, when, you, when you meet someone and you say, hey, we'd love for you to join our tech team, a lot of the questions we ask are around flexibility, creativity, uh, entrepreneurship from themselves. You know, we really want to empower our team to be thinking entrepreneurially, even for their own type projects, which is a little different than other dev shops, right? I think a lot of times uh, dev shops just want to keep their talent focused in on their product and working as hard as they can, uh, you know, 100 hours a week on developing out their uh, their particular projects. But our goal is to say, you know, look, be a little more entrepreneur. Come to this with uh, your own values because that's what's going to make the products that we develop for others really fantastic. So this will be interesting, Patrick. How, how are you approaching scalability? with code and trust, right? So there's scalability in products, right? And I'm sure you're approaching that in, in a, you know, in a, in an industry standard, but how are you, how are you scaling your company, right? You, you mentioned you're three years in, how are you scaling code and trust to, to meet the demands of, of, of the market? Well, the key is hiring really good people. It is a service-based industry. And while that's not necessarily the business model that I recommend for, for everyone, I, I think that our other products, Event.Gives, Crewmama, Team For You, they're all uh, not service-based. They're very product-oriented. And, and they uh, really do have that kind of scalability uh, to, to grow without adding a ton more people. But that's not the model of Code and Trust. Code and Trust model is around scaling those people and, and we believe in it passionately. And we want to help uh, get the best people in, in the room. And for us, that means creating an environment, a playground that they want to come to work to each day. And we do that in some parts because we take on the right clients, the kind of things that are challenging and interesting and that we really believe in. So that's, that's step one. Step two, of course, is environment. Right. If we're if we're wanting people to come to work every day, uh, you know, we have a ping pong table and an open bar and a pool table and, and, and a real ability for people to have fun in their work environment. But really more than that, it's about 
exuding a culture of wanting to help move the world forward. I started the podcast talking about my belief that entrepreneur is the number one change agent. And we really do believe that. We we passionately want to help entrepreneurs grow. And we see that in our team. It's what really keeps them focused and wanting to, to move forward. When a new entrepreneur walks in the room and says, hey, I got this idea and it's it's going to be a lot of fun and this is what we're working on we can see our team light up and be excited to be here excited to recruit their friends to come work in this environment we say that in this playground we've created we are like a kindergarten teacher right she wants her products her children to be successful right her her kids but then also she wants your kids and we want your products to be successful as well. And her fulfilling moment is when that young person, right there, let's say 20 years later, you go back to your kindergarten teacher and you say, hey, you know what? You made a real difference in my life at an important time. That's her fulfilling moment. And that's how we feel at Code and Trust. When someone tells me, that we helped them in that critical moment and that we were an important part of them being able to launch to success. That's where the real win is and we share those wins with every one of our engineers that worked on that product. I'm, I'm gonna ask this question, but it may be the answer you just gave uh, and I think it could fit, but let's see where you go with it. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with Code and Trust, what are you most proud of? Well, it's always people. Right. I, I think that it, it's either the entrepreneur that we helped launch and get, infuse them with some ideas that maybe they didn't have at that moment. Of course, we provided them with some code and that's really helpful. But we really do focus on our relationships first and building that trust. That That's literally why we named it Code and Trust, because that's what we believe we're selling, code and we're selling trust. And same thing, though, for our employees. We we feel passionately that if I were looking out across that that balcony and seeing uh, what we've built, it would be a lot of people that have started here at Code and Trust, grown their career, and have either continued to build products for us or moved on to other roles that are are really helpful. And and we feel like we have given them all the opportunity to work on interesting products and be mentored in a way that will help them grow personal. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Even at our senior level of, of having uh, a lot of experience in the room, we still run fast and uh, we, we execute very quickly. And of course, we make mistakes. We, we bump into uh, people's feelings. We bump into their egos. We, we accidentally, uh, you know, put ourselves in a position that we didn't want to be in. Uh, that, that, but obviously, we learn from those. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, we, we had a client early on that just was not a fit for us culturally. Uh, they were they were very frustrated with uh, our 
uh, quote opinions. They did. They were pushing back on every single thing that we would try to uh, help them move forward. Uh, I mentioned we have a phase one, phase two process, and phase one has a lot of consulting. And um, you know, we're, we're we've done it before, and we don't mind people not taking pieces of our advice, right? We don't. Of course, we. You don't have to. You don't have to do what we say. You're the founder. But when, when you're blindly going in a direction that is, is just incredibly frustrating uh, and putting yourself in a product that is not going to perform uh, correctly, and this is that particular client where we, we just had this client that was, was putting us in a position of looking like our software was failing because they weren't allowing us uh, to take over a particular piece and, and it had our name on it. And we felt, um, we felt really bad about that. And ultimately we ended up giving their money back and saying, Hey, you know what? We just don't think this is the right client fit for us. Uh, we've got to go in a different direction. Um, and, and we're, you know, we don't, we don't want you to leave mad, but we definitely want to, to leave. And, um, we're just gonna we're gonna walk away from this particular client relationship. And as a a small service based company, that is really hard to do. And I know that a lot of entrepreneurs listening, you know, you you have those moments where somebody is using your product and they're just using it incorrectly, uh, and and it's a tough decision to make. Of are you going to continue to invest time and resources in in helping them move forward, or are you just going to say, hey, this is not the right fit at this moment and that's what we had to do and ultimately it created a good culture inside of our building because people said oh wait these guys aren't going to take on projects that that drain us and um, make it very difficult to work Uh, we're going to take on projects that people are excited about in the building and that we can all win on well okay so what does the future look like for code and trust the agency uh, the, the the shop and for your team. Code and trust is growing every single day. We should have uh, products around the U.S. within three years. That's our ultimate goal. Right now, today, uh, we've got products and uh, startups, corporations that we help with their software in Washington D.C., uh, Texas, Florida, uh, of course, South Carolina, our home base. Um, California. So we really are growing in very large ways. And our goal is to help startups in all the 50 states. That's literally our, our goal, because we believe that if we can meet that particular demand, then we will have put ourselves in a position that we've seen the very coolest startups in each of these places. And we will be, have been able to help them, and in doing so, grown our team, grown our opportunity to uh, meet those entrepreneurs. So let's switch to you, Patrick. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a, a CEO, an architect, a, an entrepreneur, it, really any person that you look up to, and why? Well, I'll, I'll take it in a little different path. When I was 17 years old, I vividly remember my father walking into my bedroom. Uh, We had started a newspaper two years earlier. He was an expert in the newspaper industry, 
and we had started this newspaper. I was so excited about it as a as a 15 year old. Where I, I just dove in. I invested $2,500 of my own money. I learned the Macintosh computers that were brand new at the time and became a graphic designer. And he walks in my room two years later and he says, the company is failing. We're going to close the newspaper. And we ultimately lost our house. My parents got divorced. And my entire frame of, of knowing my life was imploded. And it was so bizarre Noah because the the moment that I I really felt excited in my life was this entrepreneurial journey that we were on and now it is not only ripped away from me that I'll no longer be able to work on that but also it is imploded my entire family life it was so incredibly painful and people I know would have taken away from that experience. Oh, well, my dad, you know, failed at that age. And man, that was incredibly painful. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put my family through that. I don't want to, uh, to feel failure again in that way. And instead, in some bizarre way, I took away that I wanted to be the best entrepreneur I could be uh, for the rest of my life. And it put me on a journey that gave me the opportunity and the desire to really learn innovation, scale, uh, the things I was capable of executing on. How could we get so good at this entrepreneurial journey that, that even if I failed, I knew that I would do it again and again and again until we got good enough to always win. And it put me in a place of huge growth. So my father, I still to this day, I greatly admire him. He was a a fantastic uh, newspaper executive in sales. And uh, I trust him impeccably. And so do his friends. And I really do admire him. But it was that moment of his failure that actually catapulted me into my greatest influence in life. And today, one of my sayings is, it's, uh, I get paid to fail. It's odd the check shows up on the day I win. Because people don't realize that as an entrepreneur, you're going to go through failure. It is going to happen. Uh, And when it does, you have to be built to say, this is a moment that I'm going to pass through and it's going to hurt. But on the other side, when I find success, this will not hurt as much as I thought it would at that moment. And it really does reframe for me how I feel going in to a startup. Uh, after, after that moment, we created GoToTeam, which was my first uh, real startup with employees, and we grew it in a really big way, uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But since then, I've done it. Uh, five more times. So six multi-million valuation companies uh, is not an accident. And I I think that really, although there were some failures along the way, uh, really that was my most influential moment, time period, and learning experience. Wow, that is quite a story. It must have been incredibly difficult, but 
I love your perspective on how that shaped how you moved forward. I really appreciate you sharing that story. We talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I mentioned GoTo Team. And when we started that, I was 24 years old. And over 10 years, we built that company and I had a $1 million valuation. My business partner and I, uh, Dwayne Scott, fantastic expert in the broadcast space. The two of us had started this business. Uh, and, and we were happy with a million dollar valuation. I remember being uh, overjoyed that we had hit a million dollars. And uh, when that happened, though, I really reframed to how do we scale? Where, where do we grow from here? And at that moment, I started researching. And you know who started the same month we did was Google. And within 10 years, Google had uh, was publicly traded and we were using the name of their company as a verb. Right? So I really uh, said, what is it about scale that took us 10 years to do? I need to be able to do this faster. And that's really where the other five startups came in that, that got us to where we are today because I dove in and I learned about innovation and scalability and products that can really grow very quickly. And I started to hone my entrepreneurial skills and lenses and team around, let's focus on the things that we can grow very quickly and make large impact in the world. So if I had it all to do over again, to your point, I would put myself back in that 24-year-old seat and I would say, yes, you're going to start this company, but let me give you a new toolkit of how you can get to a million dollars in two years instead of 10. And then I'm going to help you do that over and over again. Well, last question, Patrick. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road several times? I, I love it. I, I, it's literally my favorite thing to be in those conversations. And anyone listening, if you're, if you're at that stage, I'd love to have this conversation with you. I'm open to it uh, and have it all the time. I, the number one thing that I would push on them is their network of how they are going to get it into the hands of the right people and really scale and grow it. I think network at that level is the most important thing. I, it, money is important, but money is only important to which the network it gets you into. And sometimes the investor itself gets you into a good relationship situation. And sometimes the investor's money helps you connect with people that can move that forward. But really, to me, it's always about people and relationships. And if you've got the world's most important product, then we need to get it in the hands of the world as quickly as possible. And the way to do that is through a trusted network of helping people uh, really see the vision, help them see it grow, and help them get it into the, the hands of the right people. I, I joke and I passionately believe that the best way to make money is to make someone else a lot more money. And I, I 
think that if you take that mentality into your products and your network, you really begin to grow relationships and trust with people that you can say, hey, I've got this great new thing. Let me show it to you. How can we get it into your distribution channel? How can we get it in front of your users? And those collaborations are really the secret, I think, to growing something, assuming that you've already got what you said, which is you've already built the next great uh, thing. Oh, that's awesome. I love that advice. Well, Patrick, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Code and Trust. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I I absolutely love being on. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.